0: On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host retired sports turf manager Mr. Jody Gill. Jody's been a long supporter of the Brentsville Turf Grass Management Program, and it is truly incredible to have the opportunity to talk to him today. Um, we had an absolute blast just sort of talking about everything that has to deal with uh, his former position with the Blue Valley uh, High School District, and everything that goes into, again, sort of what it takes to be a sound, successful sports turf manager. You know, there are so many different things that come into play uh, and so many different people People that you have to discuss certain aspects with. And it's important to understand that, Through his work and through his time, he was able to develop this incredible relationship with not just his crew, not just the members of his team, but also the people that he worked for, you know, the principals, the administration teams, the parents, the students. You know, it's incredible to hear what he did and how he accomplished everything that he's done. And it's truly something you want to listen to. Um, we can't thank him enough for not just taking the time on today's episode, but also for being so supportive of our students and what we're trying to accomplish here with the Brentsville Turf Grass Management Program. Um, we hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon and welcome to the 59th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have on an incredible guest. We have the retired sports turf manager, uh, Mr. Jody Gill. Uh, How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing great, Drew. How are you?
0: Oh, you know, another wonderful day in the neighborhood. Gotta love it, you know. Uh, Falls winding down. uh, Not fast enough. We have uh, playoffs coming up, so that's always good, you know uh, frosty mornings and everything. Gotta love that. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Exactly. So we first met, uh, I believe it was two years ago now. Um, and I don't know if I reached out to you or you reached out to me. Um, but I remember you wanting to come and visit us in Virginia, which was incredible. We had an absolute blast with the kids and you guys were incredible. You were in Richmond, I believe at the time, uh, for, Painting the Motor Speedway. Um, so I kind of want to talk about that and sort of how that came up. Uh, you came with a friend. I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name right now. Um, but I know he's with Sign Turf, and he does all of the international or uh, national speedways for the infield painting. Um, sort of discuss some of that. And uh, you re- most recently were at um, Kansas, right at home, right? Correct? Uh, I actually
1: just left Phoenix. So that was the last one. Just got
0: home yesterday. There you go. Retirement sounds like fun. (laughs) It's
1: a nice place to be. (laughs)
0: Yeah. A little bit warmer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit about uh, just sort of everything that went into you becoming a part of that crew and uh, how everything sort of goes into, again, such a large project, you know, uh, even just with Arizona this past week.
1: Well, sure. Uh, Well, the name you're trying to remember is Kenny Bogner and uh, Kenny's a good friend. I mean, I've been working with them for, I don't know, a lot of years. Um, so when I was working full-time, you know, I would just use uh, about all of my vacation time to travel with them and and uh, and paint, uh, paint logos at racetracks just because I love it. So, you know, now in retirement, I'm able to do that on a more full-time basis. And uh it's it's just man it's it's a lot of fun even when i was working i mean it was it was like therapy and i and i know a lot of the uh sports field managers out there who paint logos tell me the same thing it's just they can't wait till they can uh even whether it's painting lines or painting logos they just can't wait to get to that point because it, it is it's it's therapeutic but you know on racetracks obviously they're very large and and lots of them and so you know, it's days and days of, 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 painting. Um, and it's exactly that. I mean, you just put the music on and, and you, you just go and you have a ball and, and, and with Kenny and, and Justin, his son, um, we, we, we have a great time out there painting. And I, I, I love, I love working with those guys. They're very gifted, uh, graphic artists and, you know, not only are they the painters, but they also make, um, patterns you know the, the stencils they uh, do the design work so they make stencils for most people out there most of the bowl games and um, and they're, they're just uh, they're great to work with and uh, <clears throat> so we do um, you know we start the year in, in, in Daytona and uh, move right on down down the schedule uh, up to the uh, championships in Phoenix where we just came from and you know, Phoenix, it's its all asphalt. We're not painting any grass at Phoenix, but um we still make it uh, a lot of fun. Um, obviously, I much prefer painting natural grass. <laughs> it's also very forgiving as opposed to, uh, you know, short grass at Daytona or, you know, asphalt that used to be homestead, now Phoenix. You know, that's not real forgiving.
0: You're to say a lot of sweating, yeah. right? <laughs> it's it just pretty warm, too. Yeah. <laughs> and. What's What's been incredible, again, meeting with you and him and that him coming out and sort of explaining what he does, and you were talking about for the bowl games and everything, the process that goes into, again, sort of creating those um, stencils, it's so simple in a sense that you really don't really ever think about it. We've actually adopted some of that and done different stencils in our area for our local high schools and whatnot. We actually just did one this past week uh, for artificial turf field. Um, we haven't put it out yet, but we made the stencil last week. Um, the idea of putting it on a grid and he has just a warehouse where the grid is set up and he just ticks the points and then draws it out and makes it perfect, you know, it's so simple to me. But how the how we didn't think about this, I also love how he's like, Oh, I pump out about 15 of those a day, you know, it's no big deal. I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, those companies make how much per stencil, and he just pumps them out like ten a day. Solid, solid. I would, <laughs> I got in the wrong business. It's whatever. <laughs> um, has there ever been a one that you you really loved the most? I remember hearing about SpongeBob and a couple of different crazy designs that you guys came up with, which is again, it's just so incredible with the the sort of gravity of the size you know being football fields big no one really truly sees what you do on the scale you know it's it's just beautiful but no one realizes that it's again four football fields wide which is just insane to me um has there ever been a favorite uh, or any one that again was maybe difficult in the sense of again just the mass of it
1: yeah there have been several um you know the the spongebob <clears throat> certainly was very unique that was you know two large uh, logos so we had the spongebob 400 on the infield and that was at kansas speedway but on the back stretch you know there's a steep slope of grass back there and we did a. it was actually 900 feet long and what that was was the uh the seven faces of spongebob <clears throat> and it was it was very odd because the uh the the designer from nascar designed that with uh, X's in the eyes of each of the SpongeBob faces, which, you know, you think of a cartoon and X's in the eyes, that, that's usually death. And so we thought it was odd. <laughs> you know, we, we painted it all and it was, it was popular. I mean, you know, everybody loved it. We still don't understand what the X's were about. But that was certainly a challenge. You know, it was 70 feet tall, 900 feet long. Uh, we had one guy at the, at the base on, on the roadway who really just handled paint and and uh, kept the machine going? We had two machines going on on that one, but standing on that slope, you know, for, for it was three solid days on that steep slope was really hard on the calves. Uh, so we appreciated getting back over to the flat grass after <laughs> spending three days
0: on. I, I would know, not have been able to walk. Slope. I would have been. I would have been like, okay, you guys got to like hold me up here. <laughs> Yeah, there have been times that
1: that speedway, too, we used to paint uh, Sprint on the the similar steep slope. And there were some cold days in the spring when we would be uh, uh, painting that and it would get frosty. So, you know, we always start early in the morning because we want to finish by three or four in the afternoon. So paint has a chance to dry before you get too late into the evening. So, you know, usually seven o'clock, we're out there spraying. And uh, I remember a time or two when it would get it got frosty on us we're putting the pattern down you know that's a huge sheet of plastic and frost formed on the pattern so next thing you know we're all just sliding down, <laughs> down the hill, falling down on the
0: on the uh, on a frost it was really kind of funny it's got to be crazy So you are recently retired I believe it was last year correct when you officially retired? Yeah
1: it was uh, the, the end of 2020 December 30th
0: 2020 Good timing, you know, with uh, COVID and everything. Nice time to get, get out of the craziness, right? Um, you were the director or grounds coordinator for the Blue Valley School System. Um, something that I've always been intrigued about your work there and what you guys did. And again, you still have good relationships with a guy like Mason and everything. Um, what has it been... Uh, for you guys to sort of develop again a grounds uh, ground system in the sense of it's not just one school but again such a large area um, because even in our county I've sort of tried to figure out how to develop one so that we can save money in the sense of what you guys do is exactly what everyone needs on their fields but aren't able to get because again we don't have something in place that can do it. You know, they have to contract it out to a local company or something like that. Could you sort of just run through sort of what your job was as the coordinator and how the system sort of ran again for so many different schools in your district?
1: Oh, sure. <clears throat> so my job was much more than just athletic fields. It, we, you know, we, we always, um, we say it was just pretty much everything outside. Uh, but just to give you an idea on the structure, we had three coordinators in the district. We had one who was a building maintenance coordinator. We had a custodial coordinator, and then we had uh, me as the grounds coordinator. So, um, you know, everything outside and a number of things inside, you know, we would deal with orchestra pit covers and, um, you know, special events. If, you know, if we needed to haul chairs, we'd get involved in graduations, things like that. that are non-TURF uh, activities. Uh, but our primary task was landscapes, lawns, playgrounds, um, and, you know, outdoor lighting, parking lots. Um, so again, like I said, truly everything outside. Um, and, you know, there's an advantage to that. I mean, there's an advantage to that scale. Um, and when when we started there, when, when I say we, uh, me and John Peterman. So John Peterman uh, was the ground supervisor, so he worked under me for 25 years. And, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of like brothers. And uh, I always joked that, you know, John, I, I don't, there's no, there's no level here. We work together as far as I'm concerned. I don't really care what, you know, what somebody says, um, you know, who works for who. I do your appraisals and that's about it. Otherwise we work together in, in this task. Well, we were hired on the same day in July, 1996. And uh, at the time we had uh, 20, uh, we had about 18 18 school buildings at that time. Um, when I retired, we were up to 38 school buildings. So together, we built a lot of buildings and a lot of fields. Um, but uh, our first task when we were hired back in 96 uh, was to oversee the reconstruction of a baseball and softball stadium facility that had been built poorly. It had been value engineered to the point it was non-functional. Uh, they were flat fields with no drainage and um, you know they they removed all of the important features that would make it a safe natural grass um, playing field for both softball and baseball so it was tied up in a lawsuit Um, when we got there it was was, you know the grass was three or four feet tall and and taxpayers were quite upset so that was our first task and um, so really our our task was to get it grown in. And so we were actually sodding that in November and December, because like most projects at that time, everything was so far behind schedule. And we had to play in March. Uh, We actually hired a helicopter to come in and fly over the the outfield areas, because we had sod coming from Oklahoma. So we had a helicopter hovering to try and dry that that soil so that we could lay sod. We borrowed infield tarps from everybody in town so we could cover as much area as possible. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the point is we, we had to, this had to happen. This was our, our first task with, with Blue Valley. Um, the contractor had installed an irrigation system which was a nightmare, even on the reconstruction. And so, um, John came from a golf course background, so he's just you know, a brilliant uh, irrigation designer, uh, installer, and, uh, you know, maintainer. And uh, I came from the sports turf background. Not a lot of irrigation experience, but, man, he was, he was on it. So the first thing he said after we got that complex open and, and running is, um, I don't ever want to supervise the installation of an irrigation system by a contractor again. I want to design and install all of them moving forward. I said, well, John, let's make that happen then. And it did. And so he became the designer and the installer, and we built uh, over you know, 50 fields uh, together over that 25 years. And um, so those are the kinds of things we were able to do to, um, to make it possible to uh, increase our value and, um, you know, increase... Um, the, the, the staffing and, and and things like that. We we really increased our worth as we went along. We started laser grading uh, fields. Um, the other task was to develop a bermudagrass program. And in 1996, there was nobody growing bermudagrass in the transition zone, uh, and um, so uh, Chuck Dixon. Uh, uh, Probably back up a little bit here. Uh, Chuck Dixon, an agronomist, and, and, and George Toma were actually on board. And I think they were the reason that, that I was hired, and probably the reason John was hired. Um, and, and we joked at the time that, you know, it's because no one else wanted the job. <laughs> there, were, there were, you know, articles in the Kansas City Star talking about this Bermuda program that Blue Valley was trying to start up that was a joke. They said it was just going to fail. Bermuda grass should never be grown uh, you know, in the, in the, in the Midwest and the transition zone. So we were actually developing a 10 acre, uh, quick stand Bermuda grass turf farm, which, um, you know, we did establish and grow in and, um, and, um, didn't actually use it for that, that the baseball softball field was being rebuilt. Again, that sod came from Oklahoma only because it was delayed and, um, wasn't sodded until, you know, October, November. Um, but we used that 10 acres uh, over and over. I mean, we, we found a way to uh, harvest sprigs. We bought equipment from, um, from Bermuda King in uh, Oklahoma. We bought a, a, a sprig planter, sprig harvester, a couple of trailers. And so we were sprigging fields uh, uh, constantly, you know, all summer long and uh, doing it very successfully for many years. And so, again, that, you know, that, that really increased our, our value and, and enabled us to do um, a lot more over time, um, was able to, you know, increase budgets and make some structural changes to, to staffing, um, again, because we were able to think outside the box and, and do some very unique things. And, and that's, you know, one of the things I loved about working for Blue Valley, we were able to experiment and play and try and i've always believed that failure is the greatest teacher and uh yeah we failed some and uh, we learned from those failures and moved forward um yeah, drew i feel like i'm rambling here
0: no we, but, love. we love but, to hear it you know especially again with with such a time where again where Bermuda grass was not prevalent. You know, it's become such an important aspect of what sports surf managers are doing. And if you guys were the ones that started that off, it's revolutionary. It's definitely something we want to hear about. Was there anything at the time again, and I'm not going to tell you when I was born, cause it's very close to that time frame that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, was, there, was there a Bermuda grass that you were specifically looking at again, we have all these hybrids that have come out and everything, and now we're getting into these crazy hybrids with Tahoma 31, who are touted to be again lasts a little bit longer than the first frost. Was there anything back then that you were able to work with, and was there times where again, again, Patriot was a big one way back in the day? It's crazy to say it's way back in the day now, but it kind of is. That you guys were able to implement that came into again, sort of the the front si- front end of everything that was implemented throughout your practices?
1: Yeah, we saw a lot of Bermuda Bermuda grasses come and go. Some stuck, some did well, and some are still doing well. You know, we were quickstand the whole time, and quickstand was just a common, basically. It was was really the only option at the time. Um, We were not developing fields for national TV audiences. Um, and or, or for division one athletes, uh, although um, we did have some professional soccer teams that, that utilized our facilities because the Bermuda grass fields were outstanding. Um, but really that we stuck with the quick stand primarily because that's what we had in the ground. That's what we were accustomed to. It's, it was very fast to establish, you know, that's not a grass anybody would use right now. It's, it's a fairly coarse Bermuda. But for our purposes, it worked really, really well. And so we were using that quick stand from 96 through uh, 2005 and, um, you know, very successfully, uh, you know, by harvesting it uh, ourselves and, and transplanting it and sprigging it ourselves. We had complete control over growing, um, uh, you know, harvest dates, you know, we, we were with with local um, control we could you know we could schedule around weather rather than um, the, the if we didn't have our own supply we'd be trying to arrange loads from St. Louis and then hoping that whenever they ship you know the weather is cooperative so it was nice to have control of all of those aspects you know from harvest to uh, to sprigging on, on the fields and then obviously having control of the growing was was nice as well we tried some different things Uh, I don't remember the the uh the varieties that we we tried we we would take we would modify the 10 acre farm occasionally and and we took a, a small plot and tested some different Bermuda grasses but we always went back to the quick stand just because it worked well for us in our application um the, you know, I would say that the biggest change we made and, and, and I, I mentioned we went through 2005, 2005, six, seven, that was a period of time when Bermuda grass was struggling in the Midwest, at least Quickstand was and I think, it, you know, a lot of Bermuda grasses were for some other guys, we were having some cool summers and some really cold winters and uh, winter kill was a little bit more prevalent than it had been in the past, um, the other thing too is that you know we, we would when we start, first started the program we wouldn't oversee Bermuda we would just let it go dormant you know the stadium football fields we would paint we converted a you know a 17 foot wide boom to a 15 foot wide boom and we would just paint it green you know for the for the November games and it, and it worked great um, you know we would just alternate we'd make you know one pass down all of the yard lines and make an extra pass down every other yard line and make it a dark light pattern. And so when you look at it, you can't tell the difference, and it still played great. You know, we weren't like the NFL guys. We were playing in, into December and January. You know, if we were, well, that wouldn't have worked. But for us, with our shorter season, that worked uh, really well. But, you know, we being sports field managers, we want to do it better and better and get better at it every year. So we did start overseeding with, uh, with rye grasses. And um, I'm hoping you're teaching your students about uh, allelopathy, uh, because we, we discovered in time that the best way to kill Bermuda grass is not with Roundup or any other chemicals. The best way to kill Bermuda grass is to overseed it with rye. And the allelopathy effect was doing a lot of damage to rye grass. Um, you know, and we were not able to uh, chemically pull it out uh, quickly just because because of budgets and we had so many acres of it. We were trying to transition it over time. We were trying to verticut it out. Um, and I, I think if we were in a position to take it out chemically a little earlier, we might not have seen such impacts, but, um, but in time we just you know, realized that, that weather was not cooperating with us. And it uh, got to the point we were spending more on Bermuda grass Um, than we would have if it was a cool season grass. So we started to experiment with overseeding other grasses. So we took one field and we overseeded with fescue. We took another soccer field and overseeded with bluegrass. Uh, About the same time you would overseed with rye. And both of those fields actually performed very well. uh, And we saw no um, ill effects from the overseed. As a matter of fact all of those grasses performed really well together. Uh, and so we would get into the summertime and we would see if we had a hot, dry summer, the Bermuda grass would start coming back and filling in some thin areas where, you know, where it was cool season grass before. Um, so we realized that this little experiment was working. And so um, what we decided to do was go ahead and, and we, chose, we chose bluegrass um, for our, um, varsity level football fields and soccer fields. And we chose fescue for our middle school level football fields to oversee all of the Bermuda grass. And, uh, we put them on a cool season program as opposed to a warm season program. Um, we set it up with the administration, said this is going to be a three year process that, you know, we, we we're, we we can not take out any fields to convert them. Um, We've got to keep them all in play and set the expectations with the administration that fields are going to be a little rough for a year or two. As we as we work on this conversion, we were overseeding them every year um, with either bluegrass or, or improved turf type tall fescue. Um, but the experiment worked and it got to the point where, um, you know, we had a, a really good mix of cool season grass and warm season grass so that it wasn't necessary to overseed anymore in, in, the, in the way that you, know, you traditionally would with Bermuda grass. It wasn't necessary to colorize uh, any, of the, any of the grass, uh, but we had the effects of warm season and cool season grasses. So in the springtime, it was green. In the summertime, Bermuda grass was still there and still strong and would fill in weak areas in July and August. Um, and then moving into October, November, Bermuda grass goes dormant, cool season grasses take over you know, without spending the money to take out any cool season grasses. Uh, and, I, and I think that um, uh, some others coined the, the term blue Muta in time. Um, there are Some guys in St. Louis who, uh, who, who coined that term. I'm not saying we were first. He's got, no
0: he's got dibs, people. You guys just took his idea. Come on, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: I'm not saying we were first. <laughs> I have no idea. We were, uh, we were looking internally at our own program. What I can then. tell you is that that experiment worked really, really well. And to this day, those fields still have a lot of Bermuda grass in them uh, and, um, and uh, still function, you know, the way we'd, we'd hoped that they would at the time.
0: And that's, that's awesome. Cause you don't hear the fescue a lot. You know, a lot of people don't want to go down that road in the sense of, well, what if it costs more? You have to see, it, make sure that you have all coverage. And then when it isn't covered, is there gonna be a tripping hazard or something when you have bunches all over the place or whatnot? So it's great that it worked out, you know. Um I also love how your job sort of allowed you to sort of again test these ideas and put them into play. You know, a lot of people are expecting field playability right away, consistency throughout the year. And we do talk about it all the time, how the worst thing for Bermuda grass is ryegrass. You know, it's 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 funny to me because it's such a standard practice. And what we don't understand about it is is that it, it really does take a toll on the Bermuda grass. We're lucky in the sense that in Virginia, we're able to play our season out into the end of May, which, again, is probably too late. But at the same time, we have the time frame of recovery. Once we can chemically remove it, we have the whole entire summer to work it back, you know fertilizing aerating all that making sure that we have the time and able to recover from again not just ryegrass growing in it but again spraying a chemical on it that isn't just amazing for Bermuda grass, you know so um but yeah with everything with that um something you were talking about before um there was a lot of things that you were able to add like laser grading and certain things now this this might be a funny question for you but I, on Twitter, again, this is just me observing as an innocent bystander. You guys actually received a GPS robot similar to us, which, again, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of. Thank you, Doug Wright. We appreciate it. It's a fundraising tool. My kids paint all of our fields. We use it on different schools. Um, what has it been like for you through the years sort of seeing that technology become such a big part um, of what we do, you know? Again, don't get me wrong. I think it's pretty interesting, the technology. It's not sound in any way, shape, or form because we've obviously used it plenty and we have our struggles just trying to get it to work. Um, But you're talking about laser grading. You're talking about all these different things. What has it been like to sort of see the evolution of the technology you've been able to use and how has that sort of impacted the way that you did things on the job, again, sort of to the point of your retirement?
1: Sure. First of all, I'm just a technology nerd. I love all this stuff. Um, And it, you know, it wasn't just that robot. That robot was actually my parting gift to the crew. That was the last thing I purchased before I was out the door. And, you know, we talked about it and, and, uh, you know, we didn't know who was coming in behind me and, uh, if they would be supportive. So John and I talked about it and said, okay, these are the, what, what are the most important things you want before I go? <laughs> and so we bought them and um, they love it. But that's really not the only piece of technology that we've used over the years. You know, we, we were able to, uh, and again, this was because of the support we had with the administration there at Blue Valley. We had a pretty solid drone program. Uh, we actually have two Phantom uh, drones, uh, one equipped with an NDVI camera. So we were able to use that drone to kind of forecast issues that we might have on the fields in the summertime. Um, we, you mentioned the laser grade. We actually purchased a, you know, eight-foot-wide eight uh, laser grade box. That we would laser grade fields in-house. Um, we purchased a GPS rover. The original intent of that rover was to go out and map uh, drainage structures and light poles and curbs. Uh, so, the, and, and utilities. So, you know, we would have a utility marking program in the wintertime. We'd have, you know, one call come out and locate, locate utilities. We'd go out and GPS all those utilities. So we could just pull them up anytime and, and know where those were. So that morphed into, hey, can we use that as a layout tool? And so we figured out how to use that to lay out fields. So, um, you know, we'd go and, and lay out manually, paint a field, and then go and get all the corner points in the GPS unit. And the thing that was so impressive, impressive about this GPS rover, um, it all started with the sales pitch originally. So this is kind of funny. The, uh, 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 Bob from, uh, from Laser Specialists came out, uh, and he walked out into a field, and he took his wedding ring off, and he tossed it down on the field. And then he got the GPS coordinate. This was grass that was three feet tall. Okay. And then we walked away, you know, we went hundreds of yards away and he said, I'm going to find that I'll, I'll have no trouble getting back to it. So we took the Rover back and it took him right to that wedding ring. And he stuck the bottom of that Rover right in the middle of the ring. And there it was. I said, okay, that's, that's the cat's meow. And, um, can you still hear me? I'm getting a call here.
0: Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Uh,
1: you're there. Okay. Okay.
0: Sorry, it was me. Uh, um,
1: so I, I was very impressed with that tool. So you know, we purchased that technology. But getting back to the field layouts, so we use that for laying out fields. So um, then we learned in time how to modify that field. We could turn it. We could rotate it. Uh, and it, you know, it's basically the same technology that the robot runs off of. It's, it's RTK uh, GPS uh, uh, signal, and um, so. We were able to use that device to, to lay out, just get, you know, points on the field. And then the guys would, we'd have one, one person that would go and lay out the points. And then we'd have a string crew. They would come back and they would just connect the dots with string um, and, you know, and, and paint the field. So the, the layout didn't exist anymore. We were using it for lacrosse, for soccer, football, uh, all of the track markings, you know, discus, javelin, some of those being very difficult. Um, so that was a, a very valuable tool. Um, then we uh, got into purchase the Pix4D uh, computer program, which would enable us to um, to um, convert the data from the NDVI camera into usable uh, data that we could use to, to forecast uh, problems on the field. We use that for modeling. You know, uh, we could we could fly the drone over a field using Pix4D, and we could. Uh, calculate how many cubic yards of material would be in a pile of of of, of dirt or rock or, or whatever. So that that technology was just amazing. We, we could do aerial mapping. Um, I could talk for hours about that stuff, but <clears throat> but I I think it's <clears throat> it's very important to uh, to um, really embrace that technology. Uh, I, you know, another one we never get a, got into, but I, I was hoping. We, we might, I guess I didn't hang on long enough, but autonomous mowers, you know, what I had envisioned with t- autonomous mowers is not to replace people, um, but to enhance mm-hmm. people's jobs. Um, you know, I think most sports field managers would, would agree that look, we're having a hard time finding people who want to sit on a mower for eight to 10 hours a day. That's not really a, a real desirable position. Um, But, you know, imagine having uh, a guy who's sitting on a mower, but he also has a control panel on, on his mower. And he's got two or three autonomous robots that are working with him on this site. And he's controlling those while he's running, let's say it's a, it's a, a wide area mower you know a a, a batwing mower something like that so i I do think that that kind of technology is not something that would necessarily replace anyone at least on on a you know on a public facility like a school we're not going to go and throw a bunch of autonomous (laughs) mowers out there and walk away and uh you know have the kids play
0: it hit three kids oops sorry
1: (laughs) yeah exactly but you know i i think that you know, if, if you're a mower operator and you've got control of two or three autonomous mowers on the site, well, your value just went up, you know? And so, um, I think it's an opportunity to, to enhance our job. So, you know, I, I, it's my hope that your students will embrace that technology and not be afraid of it, uh, because it really can make things easier for us in the long run.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean we've we've discovered, especially on our high school sites, when we can just have the, the robot going, uh we can focus on the designs. Uh we just posted something about the Red Wolves at Garfield, one of our high schools is a brand new uh mascot for them this year. It was one of the coolest things we did this year. Um, and the robot was going the entire time, you know, save us some time and we can focus on the stuff that they're very interested in as the fans, you know, obviously, but um Something again I agree with you with autonomous mowers one of the big places I feel like the that they can sort of be implemented is college campuses you know when you think about the number of guys that have to be on a mower on any given day the only thing I can say is i don't know if kids will behave themselves around them and be playing with them but at the same time it's 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 a great place where again you were saying they can have control of these things. If you have one focused on a big area and then you have the, the autonomous mowers going in areas where, again, you really wouldn't want an operator, you know, maybe it's like a steep slope or something along those lines where these things can take over in a sense of being an aid. I think that's it's perfect, you know, um, and definitely something that would be helpful in the long run, you know, um, but sort of with everything, a little little shift in subject, Um one of the big things that goes into again a school district is just the overall planning you know and the 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 day to day with your crew could you sort of discuss what went into your sort of annual plan of focusing on a, like well we have a crew here crew here we're focusing on baseball soccer whatever it is at any given time um, and how did you sort of keep uh um, those guys sort of engaged working the entire time, ensuring that they got the job done to the standard that you set for them. Um, and what was that sort of like over the years and how have you seen uh, people come in and maybe even move on to another job where they're successful at like maybe a higher level or a different place, you know, um, and what that experience was like for you.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I always felt like I, I was, I was a better people manager than, than a, a sports, you know, than a grass manager. Um, and I still believe that I, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was that that great, but I loved working with people and motivating people. Um, and, but as a coordinator, you know, you're thinking more long-term. My job was to look, you know, a month out, a year out, years out. Whereas, John was really the operations guy, his job was to think, you know, five minutes from now. And so we we kind of kept our roles separate in that way. And that that made life much, much easier. Um, You know, as far as motivating people, COVID is probably a great example. So thinking back to March of uh, 2020, you know, we were our spring break got extended. You know, suddenly spring break goes by and passes. We're hearing all of this about COVID. And then suddenly they're going to extend spring break another week. And then it turned into, you know, probably in your case too, okay, they're going to just start paying staff to stay home until we figure out what is going on here. But the only exception to paying staff to stay home was us, you know, we still had a, a you know thirteen hundred acres and, and uh, forty buildings that we had to worry about. This was springtime; grass was growing rapidly, um, you know. And and you know the the first initial discussions were, well, we'll just let the fields go. And I said, okay, you want to let fields go and let lawns and landscapes go, and, and
0: then <laughs> you
1: know how long are you going to delay your season when this is over next week or two weeks? And we come back and we have these messes on these fields. You want to play right away. You, you expect, you know, high level of landscapes in these buildings. So it was decided, OK, well, yeah, the grounds crew should probably keep working. But we're going to set some strict protocols. You know, nobody in the buildings. And, um, uh, you know, we'll, you clean your trucks and clean your equipment. And, you know, And I said, well, well wait a minute. Nobody in the buildings, where where are we going to use the the restroom? And so little things they never even thought about because everything else is closed. um, So, you know, I I was really afraid that all of our crews are going to say, no, wait a minute. You get 2,500 employees here and most of them you're paying to stay home and you expect us to come to work. But none of our guys argued with it. They, they were thrilled to come in and provide that, that support. You know, we did a lot of unique things. Um, we've set up some creative schedules and, um, you know, really just kind of encouraged them to, to come in and made them realize, look, we are, we really are critical here. Um, and um, so, you know, between John and I and, and, uh, and Caleb Clements, uh, you know, we we're able to motivate them to, to come in and, and do the job and we made it fun you know, we're going to make the best of this situation. And, you know, I got to go mow. I ran a route with a wide area mower. Man, Drew, that was, I had the time of my life because I never got to mow. So I had a route to like three or four buildings and truck and trailer and, you know, a weed eater and um, went out and ran the routes because there was nobody in offices. There were no meetings. There was nothing other than Zoom meetings. So I got to go and mow. I was It was wonderful. There was no traffic. There was nobody on the roads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) got That That never (laughs) happens, you know. (laughs) Especially here. Just
1: you know, make the most of the situation and do the best you can with it. Um, But uh, you know, I I I take pride in in a lot of the guys who have moved on. Uh, I mentioned Caleb. Caleb Clements is uh, is director of of. grounds i think is his title at north kansas city school district now so he just got that job not long ago um one of other other guys is a groundskeeper at KC sporting uh so we've had some people that have moved on to other jobs and i love that they still call me you know they'll, they'll call and ask for advice and you know it's it's just so fun for me to to be able to talk with them and help them and encourage them and and uh and continue to to work with them because like you know I, I do I do miss it I miss them all
0: absolutely I mean that's that's what happens when you're a great mentor you know that's always a good thing when they keep calling you sometimes you're like hey just give me a se- give me a second okay and we'll call me back next week or something but <laughs> I got a call from one of my students he was like what do I do what do I do I'm like okay just breathe I need to like finish class real quick and then call me right okay? like give me two <laughs> seconds please okay um but again, with everything, um, what would you say was sort of your fondest part about your job? You know, there are so many different things, and again, we talk to different sports serve managers at different levels, and again, whether it's they're managing one field, managing uh, a complex or whatnot, you're managing so much more than that, you know. People don't quite understand what the school division you have, your landscape of X amount of schools here in, in Prince William, we have 111 schools. So our landscape guys are in charge of all of that. They're in charge of all the irrigation on all of our stadiums and practice fields and everything at every single high school, middle school, everything, you know, uh, and a lot of our newer schools that have been built, uh, irrigation is built in with later landscape. So there's like three or four guys in charge of all of that. And I feel like, again, you guys had much more of a sound system set up there Um, but there's so much that goes into it at such a large scale. You know, what would you say has been your fondest memory and fondest thing to do when it comes to your job there? You know,
1: interestingly, one thing I loved is, is playgrounds, Uh, playground design, working with PTAs and PTOs and school administrators on, uh, you know, on, on designs for playgrounds and um, you know, working with the kids too and, and getting an idea of what they like to do so i i had the opportunity to do playground design and and uh that was really fun you know some of the the funnest days were the, when we would install a new playground over the summer and the kids would come back to school and so you know i actually would enjoy going and watching them play on the playground and you know ask them what they think about it and, you know they follow back with feedback on it sometimes positive sometimes negative um you know we just new playground and teachers would be up there on it you know we switched to what we call a, a a cable climb system as opposed to the old post and deck and so when we've we've put in the first cable system parents and teachers looked at us and 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 said are you trying to kill the children <laughs> you know, we said, well, no, it, it's perfectly safe. And so um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but these are just a series of, of, of tight cables and they climb on these things. What we were finding on the post and deck playgrounds is we had more injuries on the post and deck because they're long ramps and kids would run on them. And then they would wind up running into each other and have head injuries. But on, on cable climb systems, they're climbing very safely and deliberately. You notice, the, you know, they they watch their hand grip the cable. They watch their foot step up on a cable, and another hand grips the cable. They're moving slowly and deliberately. But we had zero injuries on these cable climb uh, systems. Um, uh, so, um, you know, that that was a different aspect of the job that I, I really enjoyed. Um, another one was was really studying the, the safety surfaces, not only of, of synthetic fields and natural grass, but almost playground surfaces. Um, you know, understanding um, where we needed to be from, from a standpoint of, of safety. Uh, here's an example. We, we had shredded rubber on playgrounds for years, okay? It's, it's a shredded tire, okay? It almost looks like it's just a, a ripped-up tire, if you're familiar with those. Um, <clears throat> and then back in, uh, I guess, I think it was 05, 06, we had a series of fires. We had arson fires on the playgrounds. So um, we had three that burned up on the July 4th weekend. Uh, again, I, it was 05 or 06. And that was a significant loss. So um, another unique part of my job was working with the fire department to find a way that we could develop a playground that wouldn't burn. So, you know, uh, I would go and find different options for surfaces. Go to the uh, the fire training center, and they would set up a burn. So we would set up parameters. Where we could try and burning this this the system and see if if it would uh, continue to enhance the fire and get to the point where it was you know getting out of control. So we found out that a, a nylon synthetic turf uh, would pretty much extinguish itself. Even you know we would use gasoline to to start a fire and it, it would not burn. So what we did was is covered all of the rubber surfaces with a one inch or two inch pad, depending on the on the height of the of the the accessible surfaces on the playground, and then go over the top of all these playgrounds with a uh, nylon synthetic turf. And we really eliminated the the fires. We had attempts uh, at fires. but the point of that is that's something totally different. And I had a ball working with the fire department trying, you know, find a, a new surface that uh, that was still safe and uh, and um, would not, um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't burn. Um, so there, there's always aspects of the job. I, you know, I, I love the training part of the job. Um, <clears throat> the you know, I think back to the, to the sound systems of stadiums, so that's something that our crews had to know—the sound systems, the lighting systems. Um, you know, we were the ones that had to maintain all of that. If it wasn't working, then they came to us to to figure it out. So, so we uh, we learned a lot beyond just uh, you know sports surfaces
0: and sports fields for sure. Um. So again, you were talking about being able to sort of operate beyond, again, just turf and everything and working with, uh, again, such a a diverse group, you know, that a lot of turf managers don't really get to when it comes to, again, working with parents, teachers, uh, the school board. It seemed to me that you had a great administration that was very supportive of what sort of your mission was. Um, Could you sort of discuss that relationship and how you sort of developed that over the years again with such a an incredible plan to be able to add such big things again. laser grading is like impossible to do around here in northern virginia which it's just so it's such a travesty you know when i can't you can't get a laser grade more than i mean a three-hour drive you know to come down and help us out you know what was that kind of like and how did you develop that relationship over the years
1: yeah. I, you know, it it started with trust with the administration. You know, I, I would go to them with, with some of these thoughts and ideas. And, you know, most administrations would look at you like you're crazy and say, you know what, well, just go do your job and stop, uh, you know, stop having these, these thoughts. But some of the things we did were completely off the wall. And, um, you know, what would typically be a wild idea. And um, we just had an administration that Said, well, let's let's try it. Let's go for it. Let's let's see if it'll work. What do we have to lose? <coughs> Obviously, it, it cost us. <coughs> excuse me, it cost us um, time. You know, we would have to spend extra uh, time doing some of these things. Um, but uh, but they worked well. So I, I think it, it really was all a matter of of um, mutual trust between us and and our administration. Um, you know, knowing that we were going to do what we said we were going to do, and and uh, the, the same back from them, um, and that's that's everything. You know, when, when you have that mutual trust, man, the, the sky's the limit on on what you can do. Um, always had support. I mean, there were some there were some tough years. I mentioned the the Bermuda grass troubles and in uh, 05 and and uh, 06. I mean, there was a time when I, I was about done. My, my problem was dealing with coaches. Coaches would, uh, were just furious at some of the, some of the conditions, you know, when Bermuda grass turns on you, it's not pretty. And uh, it was a period of time that, that, that wasn't pretty. And so uh, throughout that, I had full support from our administration. So um, that was important for us and, and for all of our crew. They, they knew that we were going to work our way through it. We were going to solve the problems and we were going to come back with, with, uh, you know, great fields and facilities like we, like we'd always had. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the most important thing is having having that trust and, and confidence in each other. Um, and um, so as long as you can develop that, that trust and confidence and cooperation, Uh, gosh, there's there's not much you can't do.
0: Couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, And you personally, you took sort of that idea and and the trust and confidence and took that to a whole new level when you started working with the STMA. Um, And that's, again, the reason we met was you were extremely supportive of what we were doing here at Brentsville. And, again, I can't thank you enough for all of that and always being there and always – Answering the phone when I call, you know, Um, but with everything, what was it that sort of brought you to the STMA and what has been your experience again, working again at the the highest level as the president? um, And even before that, at the time that led up to that, and now as the immediate past president, how has that been for you? And what has sort of driven you towards, again, working with such an important organization in the industry? Oh, you know,
1: the first conference I attended when uh, I was able to just strike up a conversation with uh, major league uh, groundskeepers and NFL groundskeepers and, um, you know, some of the guys from Division One schools, I was hooked. I mean, I, here I am. I'm just a, you know, high school guy from the Midwest. And to be able to, to talk to these guys, people you've, I've looked up to for years, and, and here they are, they're right here, and they're willing to talk to me. And, um, you know, and, and, and talk at, at, at my level and not, you know, talk over over my head. I mean, you know, I just, I was hooked with, that, with the organization at that time. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. And that had never changed. <clears throat> and I just knew then I wanted to get more involved with, uh, with this organization. Um, but, you know, I had some STMA mentors along the way and uh, Troy Smith and, uh, Abby McNeil, uh, Mike Trigg, Mike Andreessen, uh, um, just a number of people that, that I met along the way who encouraged me to um, get into board service. You know, i would always been active in our, our chapter, the Mocan chapter, and, <clears throat> and we had a pretty solid group of, of people involved in the chapter. But, but, you know, taking that step to get involved at the national level was not anything I, I ever thought I would be able to do. Um, and, um, but just having the support and encouragement, uh, from, from, you know, not only those, those people, but, but everyone else, uh, was, was priceless. And, um, so I hope that I can encourage others to do the same. And I, that It was fun to talk to your students and, and encourage them to get involved, whether it's STMA or GCSAA. uh, get involved in the professional organization and, and, and do what you can beyond committees uh, be you know be active in the local chapters uh, and that that's how we enhance our industry uh, and these organizations is by getting involved it, it takes all of us to, to work together to to make our industry better and so uh, I, I was fortunate to be able to move into some you know some levels and, and to be able to move on to the to the board and you know what a what an amazing experience that was just to work with some great people on on the boards and um you know when I first came on the board Mike Andreessen was president just to watch him operate and watch them um run meetings I mean wow man that was that was really motivational and and exciting um I learned so much just being a part of of those meetings and then you know and having the encouragement and opportunity to run for secretary treasurer I mean I, I ran twice and lost twice um you know the last uh, last two times, and um, and then kind of stepped away for a few years, uh, and then was encouraged to run it for a third time for president. And uh, so I thought, boy, if somebody feels like I could I could do that job, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to run again. And, and you know, third time's the charm, I guess. And uh, was elected Secretary Treasurer, and then moved through the process to become president. And that was definitely the the highlight of of my professional career to to be at that level and to work with all of these people at, at the stma um, so again i just encourage everyone I, I, I meet just you know get involved this is this is a great organization um,
0: certainly very worthy and i love how you sort of said it all started with again such a just a good relationship you know um with just random people because again that that's been sort of our experience with this podcast you know uh with everything i mean being able to meet people like at wimbledon and all of that it's been insane and with this industry i don't think there are many like that where they would answer the email or answer the phone when called upon you know right uh, right what has your experience been like again just overall creating these relationships you talked about your mentors in this uh stma space but what has it been like for you to sort of again maybe it's grow your network in a sense but sort of grow just again relationships throughout the years with just through the stma you know it's it's just one organization (laughs) we talk about the grand scheme of things you know
1: yeah, it's it's been <clears throat> been so helpful to have uh, people that I could call on with questions, concerns, or um, you know, especially when we started the Bermuda grass program. I don't know anything about Bermudagrass. That was you know, that was certainly a challenge, but had a number of people down south that I could talk to and and you know, uh, not have to repeat some of the same lessons, but instead understand how they did things and um how we could do it better. Um, so it's those relationships that really help you to um enhance your job. And uh, so those are those are valuable contacts. And um, you know, it's hard to function without them. You really need those people, you really need that 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 network of people that you can you can count on. And I'm, I'm just thrilled that I can still be in some people's <laughs> network in a retired position. So, uh, you know, I can't wait to get to the conference this year just to, you know, see some old friends and and uh, and, and just be a part of it again.
0: Yeah, we're excited for this year. We're actually going to be bringing uh, five kids down. So it'll be really oh, great. It'll be really fun for them to, again, to experience what we've been experiencing for years now, you know. Uh, right. And we actually are actually taking five, I think six maybe kids out to GIS out in San Diego this year too. So it's been oh, yeah. sort of a whirlwind of uh, opportunities for our students. We're really excited again to sort of see that stuff come to fruition, especially after the year with COVID and whatnot. It's it's really exciting to be able to do that. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get to see you there, you know? <laughs> um Yes sir, I'm always. Um with everything again um I, as someone who's been such a, a prominent figure in this industry again being the president and taking the time to again put forth so much of your time voluntarily um what have you seen sort of the growth in our industry maybe it's STMA maybe it's something different but what is it that you've seen that's been the best growth and what do you see in the future sort of being the next step in our industry moving forward to better maybe the next generation or bettering the current uh um, workforce in sports turf management
1: uh well we talked about the technology earlier and you know i I really believe that that's that's number one you're not going to stop technology technology is going to continue to evolve and and get better and we've got to embrace it and and um, and find ways to use it to enhance our jobs to enhance our, our industry and not be afraid of it um, we've got to embrace change and and find a way to adapt to new situations um, you know we've got a lot that we're dealing with I know across the country from um, new regulations to you know losing some pesticides to uh, to. You know, labor issues, uh, budget issues, uh, a lot of things that we we have to deal with moving forward, and, and we're not the only industry dealing with it. Um, but uh, that's that's something that you know, we, we need our, our our network of folks out there to help us to uh, to deal with these things. So I think that uh, moving forward, we just need to really enhance that network and um, uh, you know keep people. Um, in our circles who can, uh, who can be positive influences and, and help us move through some of these issues.
0: Absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, now here's the real question, you know, not turf related, not anything related. How does it feel to be retired? You know, my father, uh, and he'll hate me for saying this, he retired, uh, last year and we can't get him out of his recliner, but that's just him. You know, how is, how is retirement for you with everything? Um, Obviously it's well known that you are a pilot and it's really cool to see sort of having that sort of outlet in a sense to what your career was and everything. And what an incredible talent, you know, I mean, if I got into plane, everybody would die. Sorry. <laughs> 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 but how has it been for you to be able to sort of take a step back, uh, recollect and obviously you're still way involved when it comes to retired people being able to work with, uh, uh, Ogner, right? Is that right? Like I said, the right.
1: yeah, with Kenny,
0: Kenny, that's the name. You know,
1: first of all, I hate the word retirement, and uh, you know, I
0: apologize. My wife
1: <laughs> retired also at the same time, and we are having a ball. We're actually calling it a reboot as opposed to retirement, um, and we're still we're still very active. You know, we we've got a little business that that uh, we're working on, and we're gonna. Um, continue to, to launch in the spring we we're painting fields uh, I mean my wife Tammy's a rock star man she's um, we'll, we'll paint fields for in logos for, for high schools here locally um, that's it, kind of funny we we did uh, work over at chiefs at the Chiefs practice facility uh, this summer um, um, the, the, the guys that at, at chiefs had to go to training camp and there was a company that was shooting a commercial in one of the practice fields um so they asked us if we would go and, and paint the field for them uh, so uh, terry lee and doug Schallenberg were, were were there still you know managing things so tammy and i went to paint one of the fields so so terry lee is they're, they're taking bets you know tammy went and told him we could do this in about three hours. And they said, there's no way that the two of you are going to lay out that field in three hours. And we're done a full field with borders and numbers and uh, and everything. <clears throat> and so Tammy said, okay, we're, we're, we're going for this. <clears throat> so uh, Terry and Doug were trying to delay us. You know, they'd come out and talk to me or come out and talk to Tammy and Tammy would say, hey, get back to work. <laughs> so at one point, Tammy's rolling up string and she's got like three or four marking flags in her mouth and she's walking as fast as she can. And then she grabs a number stencil to move it up to the next one. And uh, and so we're, we're having a ball. You know, we're like I say, we're we're staying busy and, and um, doing some traveling. Um, and, uh, you know, the NASCAR thing keeps me busy as well um so it's really not retirement it's it's reboot we're just kind of working on the the next thing you know whatever that's going to be because i'm not built to sit in a recliner i I can't i can't do it (laughs) um but it it gets to the point when you when you've been in public service for 30 years you know there there comes a point where you say okay it's time to move on and that time came for me and, and i realized they don't need me anymore i felt like i was in in their way um you know it was time for me to step aside, let, let John take over, let some of these other guys take over. And that was the best decision I ever made. Um, so, you know, once you realize that time and, and, uh, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be able to, to do it early, um, it's, a, it's a great feeling to, uh, to be able to, to, to do that. So, yeah, we are, we're having a ball. My job this last year has actually been renovating our house. It's been my primary job. And, um, you know, Tammy's my project manager, so I, I've still got a pretty long punch list of things. And she reminds me every day that, you know, items 46, 62, and 90 are not
0: done yet. <laughs> oh, that's a wide range of lists. Jeez. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty impressive list. But I, so I actually... we there. I contacted you when you guys were heading to Italy. How was that? You know, with with everything, I mean Italy is something to see, you know, and it's incredible. And my brothers have gone and they like to talk about how they got to go all these different places. How was it for you guys? Oh, it's fantastic
1: and true. There was nobody there. You know, they were you know, they were open to travelers, but people just weren't traveling. We we were in Pompeii. We're in the forum, and it was just the two of us. Normally the the forum of 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 the lost city of Pompeii is packed with thousands of visitors. It was the two of us in there taking selfies, and um, you know, and we we went to the top of so we, we had Vesuvius in the background, and you know, we could see Vesuvius. And we hiked up the top of Vesuvius and, and looked down over over Pompeii. And, um, just had a great time. I mean, the food, the wine, uh, it, it was an incredible experience. And uh, I would encourage anybody that has the opportunity to uh, consider traveling. But, you know, this may be the, the right time to go. Just because not that many people are are headed on overseas uh, trips right now. So, was, you got was a list
0: fun. of places you want to see? Oh, we, uh, we're
1: talking about... Um, uh going to austria next year so i i don't know we're we're still kind of sorting through where we want to go next so, so my we'll question see.
0: austria you know you want to see you obviously want nice weather but at the same time in austria you kind of want to see the alps in the winter you know that's where my that's where my sort of which time do you really want to go you know <laughs> Is, yeah the oh,
1: research where you know it sounds like September and October is a pretty good time to to head over there to you know get the best visuals um so you know, I don't know Richmond may be out again next year <laughs> 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 well I'll be there in the spring so I'll, I'll contact you over there in the spring yeah for sure
0: no that that would be awesome but well, I want to just say thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a blast. It's been great to catch up with you. Uh, I'm excited to see you down in Savannah, you know, actually see people for a change. You know, it'll be great, you know, with everything. Um, and again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time.
1: Oh, happy to. So. It was good talking to you.